says, get that India, big boy. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the post-game show, live from Jack's Bar and Grill. My name's John, that's Craig. Joining us is one of the greatest playmakers in the history of the game, Brett Kenny. How's everyone doing tonight? Well, I'm going to start off with the obvious. That sucked. <laughs> that match really sucked. Um, but thankfully, we've got an Eels legend in Brett Kenny. How about a round of applause for Brett Kenny? Let's, let's just run through a few things, Brett, before we get started. 265 NRL games, 25 matches for Wigan, 4 for City, 17 Origin matches, 17 matches for Australia. Across all of that, that's 142 tries. The list of awards you've received is really too long for me to rattle off right now. Uh, probably what we need to do is to push for you to be made one of Rugby League's immortals. I think it's... I think it's a, rid a ridiculous that we don't have a Parramatta player from the 1980s where there was three premierships, one in a row, four in six years, in amongst the immortals. I just think it's wrong. Um, You'll get no argument from me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brett, thank you so much for joining us tonight. That's all right. Pleasure. So, I mean, just after, I, after running through all of that, do you ever pinch yourself and, and think, you know, this really happened, all, all that success and achievements? Well, it, 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 it's probably something that I don't think about too much until someone brings it up and, and we, we talk about it. And, and I, I guess, I, yeah, you have a think and you geez, you know, it was, it all, for me, it all happened pretty quickly. Look, um, 1979, I was playing C grade for Guildford. 1980, I was playing first grade for Parramatta. 1981, I was winning the premiership with Parramatta. And then um, by the time I was, I think it was 25, I'd, I'd won four grand finals, played X amount of numbers of test matches, State of Origin, won a Golden Boot Award. So it all sort of happened pretty quickly. And, and I guess in a lot of ways that was probably good because it never gave me a chance to sort of get too far ahead of myself. But I think too, playing in the side I played in with the number of senior players around, um, it wasn't just me. You look at blokes like Sterling, Steve Vella, John Muggleton, Eric Graith, um, Dave Lydiard, Neil Hunt, these guys, Paul Taylor. We were never given the opportunity to sort of get too far ahead of ourselves because these older blokes would pull us in the line. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was good. You know, it was good being, being part of that team. Can we share something that you shared with us before about, okay? si Can about sitting on the bench at Redfern oh. Oval in 1980? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. I was sitting on the bench. I was, I was actually playing reserve grade and, and um, back then, after the game, you didn't have... The first grade side didn't have uh, nominated reserves, so if you played reserve grade, started reserve grade, you were able to sit on the bench for first grade. So they could have eight or nine guys sitting there. So I was just sitting there and, and um, yes, I did say to the guys that I was a South supporter when I was younger and <laughs> so when obviously playing reserve grade, we played South at Redfern Oval on this day and obviously, as I said, playing reserve grade, I wanted to win. And I think we won by 40. I think I scored six <laughs> tries. Up to anyway, um, 
And I was sitting on the bench for the first just grade. Just a typical match. Yeah, just <laughs> sitting on the bench for first grade. And if South scored, I'm sort of going, yes. <laughs> good. And then not long after, Tony Milrose was playing in the centres with Mick Crown and he pulled a hamstring and I got a tap on the shoulder to say you've got to go on. So I had to go on and play first grade against South. So after that, I thought, well, I can't. <laughs> can't support South anymore in the first grade. So, <laughs> yeah, I was a South supporter as a young kid. So going back to your era in the 80s, money wasn't everything. But, geez, you must be kicking yourself looking at some of the figures that get thrown around these days thinking, I was born a couple of decades too early. Well, I always remember when Super League started, the first thing I did was rang my dad and abused him. <laughs> I said, if you could have waited at least two years later, I would have been sweet. <laughs> would have been not. But, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. I, I guess a lot of people say to me, you know, would you like to be playing today's game? And, and I, as I said, I guess because I played in the 80s and have experienced what it was like playing in the 80s, no, I wouldn't want to play in today's game. If I hadn't have played in the 80s, yeah, I probably thought, well, that's the way the game is today. But, you know, you, I, I don't begrudge any of the players getting the money they... They get. I would have liked to have been able to play now and, and get the money that they do get. I, I think uh, back in the 80s we didn't have a salary cap. I think if they, if that side we had in the 80s was playing today, we wouldn't have had it. We would have only had that side for one year because we wouldn't have been able to fit them all under the salary cap. Yeah. But you know, I, I just, as I said, I, you, you would like to be be earning the money that they they earn nowadays and. We, I remember on one of our um, reunions, we were all talking about it, and say, "Well, we'd probably all be getting a million dollars a year, which would be, which would be nice, but um, better than that fifty thousand." Yeah. You know, and it's quite funny because when you talk about guys today, when they, they go from one club to another, they're saying, "Oh, well, they're on four hundred thousand at this club, but they've been offered another three hundred thousand to go to another club." And we said, "Well, when we were playing, we were offered five thousand." That was the difference. So I offered 5,000 more to go to this club. So, well, Talk about inflation, eh? Not much in it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was good. As I said, I don't begrudge the players. And I know people will obviously be critical of players that are on big amount of money and they're saying they're not worth it. Well, they may not be, but it's not the player or the manager you've got to blame. It's the Blake that agrees to sign them for that much money. And that's it. You never seem to know who that is. Yeah, there's a lot of people that want to take credit for the good signings, but no one wants to take credit for exactly. the, uh, the other ones. Just um, going back to those heady days, you scored two tries in consecutive grand finals, 81, 82, 83. Comes 86, and it's a trialist grand final, but you got across the line twice and were disallowed twice. Can you let us know, did you actually score... Or were they correct decisions to take it away? Uh, yeah, no, nah, yeah, they were correct decisions. We, we had a look at it again in replay, and, and um, that first one where I've come over the top, um, yes, there actually was a gap. The ball was actually on the ground. There was a gap about that much between my hand and the ball. So that was probably the one that we thought I did score. The other one was definitely would have been would ruled a double movement, which it was. So, yeah, I, you know, Mick Stone was correct with both his rulings. And so I say to people, we didn't have um, video replays then. We, we, we didn't have the bunker and, and yet the referee got it 100% right when they went, I'm talking years later, yeah. we, we look at all the new technology and they said, yeah, he was right. 
So I don't know whether the new technology is actually actually necessary at the moment. Well, that's that's the follow-up question. Really, is what do you think of the bunker? Up to shit. It, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I just think they should get rid of it. I, I mean, I'm, even coaches now are saying we've got to get rid of it, and I think. Why the hell, like, you look at this ground over here, we've got the, the big screens in the corners. Why can't the referees just say, I want to have a look at that and have a look at the big screen? That's what the players look at. How many times do you see a player being held up over the line and his teammates go, well, look, they all start walking back because they've had a look and said, well, he's not, it's not a try. So they all start walking back. Why can't the referee have a look at that? Well, it's amazing that they start walking back and still the bunkers looking at... Vision after vision after vision, vision to see what everyone else can see first And we time. never know who the hell the bloke is in the bunker. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing that pisses me off. I said, well, if this bloke's making mistakes, why aren't we knowing who he is? So they can get rid of him. Poor referee <laughs> stands out there. Everyone knows Top who the from the crowd. Is. Yeah, yeah. And they go, mate, you've had a shocker. It's not his fault. <laughs> so you, you vote to put up the face of the bunker official as the decision's going up. There's, oh. your, there's the, oh, here's the man you. responsible. My own. Have his face up there, let everyone know who he is, and then we can make a decision after the game as to whether he stays there. Yep, yep. The 81 to 83 free peak is what sets apart your team as one of the greatest of all time, particularly in a limited tackle era. It hasn't been done since, and there's been some good teams we've seen, Broncos in the 90s, Melbourne Storm in the 2000s, the Sydney Roosters. How come no one else has been able to get it done? Is it just too hard in the salary cap era? They weren't as good as us. There you go. No, uh, that's right. I think, as I was saying before, like we didn't have a salary cap when we were playing, and now the salary cap makes it a lot, a lot harder. And actually, one thing you felt, we actually played in four grand finals in a row. Yes. Mm -hmm. We played 81, 82, 83, and 84. We won 81, 82, 83, got beaten by the Bulldogs in 84. So we played in four grand finals in a row, which has never been done before, and, and had never been done since. And I think, and that's one of the reasons, because of the salary cap, the, the, the teams, I mean, a team goes to a grand final, I'll look at, say, the Cowboys this year, for example. If the Cowboys play in the grand final, and let's say they win it, they're going to have to offload a hell of a lot of players because... The vultures come circling. A lot of them are going to go away. They've got a World Cup at the end of the year, so they go away with the World Cup, so now become representative players. Their money goes up a bit higher. They're not going to be able to keep them all. Yep. Back in the 80s, they would have been able to keep that side because there was no salary cut. OK, I'm going to ask the tough question right now. I'll rip the Band-Aid off. Is there any chance that we're going to end our drought this year? No. <laughs> That's not good. It's not hard to work out, but... Well, I look at it, you look at tonight's game... And I, I say, I've said to people before earlier on at the game, I said, I, I often wonder about the players' mindset. Because you look at the situation they're in now, and I'm pretty sure if they had a one tonight, they would be close to being in the top four or being level with the top four. So they had as much to play for as South, who wouldn't have been in the top four but would be getting closer. And yet they had, what, 30 points scored against them or something? So my question is... What's their mindset? They should have been going out there tonight. Now this is a game we've got to win. Yeah. We win this, and then we win next week. They play the Bulldogs next week. After tonight's performance, I wouldn't be necessarily saying they'll beat the Bulldogs. Well, they beat us last time. They beat too. us last time. But I mean, if we'd have beaten South tonight, 
you'd be confident that we could come in next week and beat the Bulldogs at home and we might find ourselves in the top four. As it is now, the way they performed tonight, it was as if they couldn't give a rat's ass what was going on. And yep. they watching the game, and I was getting frustrated. I was blowing up all the time because we do the same shit every six tackles. The same stuff. We don't change it. We got within five metres of the opposition line. Last tackle, what do we do? Kick it in the air. Last tackle, kick it in the air. Last tackle, kick it in the air. What were the results? We got nothing out of it. No one caught the ball other than a south play. Why not change it? Put it on the ground. So following up with that, <laughs> if Parramatta are to defy your expectation that they'll crash out in the finals, what's the single most important thing for them to do between now and the postseason? Well, you know, look, I, I just think they've got to start looking at their game plans and they've got to start realising that you can't stick to the same thing every week. Be more adaptive. And you've got to change. Things, things could happen in a game and you say, well, this is what we wanted to do. <coughs> um, it's amazing what that <laughs> This is what we've got to do. Everyone, every team goes out with a game plan. The game plan mightn't necessarily work, so then you've got to start to change things. And that's what I'm saying, even tonight, where they're doing it every time on the last tackle, we put it in the air. And I, I think it may have even been once where we went close to catching the ball, but we weren't getting the result out of it. So change it. And I think that's what we've got to look at. We've got to start saying, yes, we've got a game plan, but if it doesn't work, we've got to look to change things. We need more players looking up and playing what's in front of them. I think that's where we probably missed Mitchell Moses the most because he seems to be the most eyes-up player we have in our team. Well, yeah, he, he, and even Dylan, Dylan Brown's starting to look ahead now. He's starting to look up and, and see what's in front of him and he's playing what's in front of him. But as I say to people, everyone said, oh, the game's changed. The game hasn't changed, the rules have changed. Back in 1908, you had to score more points than the opposition to win the game. In 2022, I still think you've got to do the same thing, don't you? You've still <laughs> yeah, got to score yeah. more points than the opposition to win the game. So that hasn't changed at all. But what's changed is the rules and the way they play. And what we've got to do is start to look up and play what's in front of us and not worry about, oh, this is the game plan. Because you might have a game plan to say we've got to be over there and on tackle one, but the opposition don't know that. So you've got to learn to, to read the play and say, look, we've got to start doing things. And in the forwards... And that was the problem tonight. Our forwards got outplayed. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that later, but they got heavily top, outplayed. Our backs, Dylan Brown, the Dylan Browns and the Mitchell Moses can do things. But if they don't, and that's what it's been like since 1908. And that's why we won four premierships, because our forwards used to win the wrestle. Uh, and we'll, we'll come back to some of that uh, footy, but I just want to touch on your appearance last week in the Matty Johns show. <laughs> you were on there with a bit of a larrikin named Cam Munster. Let us know, what, what was he like as a bloke? Yeah, look, he was, he was a great bloke and he was only a young guy. And I actually, to be honest, I couldn't believe the size of him. I'm thinking, shit, you know, like I was a 5'8", he's a 5'8", he was bigger than me. Yeah. And I put a bit of weight on, not much, but a little bit of weight <laughs> since I retired. And, and I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, you know, these blokes are big. But when you see him on the TV, he looks quite small compared to the others, but... Yeah, no, he, he, was a, he was a good bloke and uh, really down to earth and, and um, you know, just enjoys playing rugby league. I think uh, Brendan Smith was famously quoted in the last week saying 
Cam Munster's as dumb as dog shit, but he's a genius on the football field. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, well that, that's funny coming from a bloke. <laughs> yeah, a bloke like him. He's, uh, Munster is obviously a superstar of the modern game, both in Melbourne Storm and at representative level for Queensland and Australia. How do you rate him and... How would his game hold up back in your era of a different rule set that you're talking oh, about? Look, I, I often get asked the question, is there anyone running around in today's game that could play in the 80s? When Jonathan Thurston was playing, he was one of the guys mm-hmm. I believe could play in the 80s. Timeless game, yep. Cameron Munster is another guy that I believe would have been able to play in the 80s because of the way he plays the game. Just it's that eyes up sort of football, is yeah. that? Yeah, eyes up, but he, he just does what was in front of him, and and that's what most of the guys that run around in the eighties. That's what they used to. We do. talk about being adaptive. He's perhaps the best at the one-on-one strip in the new era, where everyone drops off and gets the ball. He's happy to play heads-up football, offload, chip ahead. Yeah, yeah, and, and and he's a tough player. I mean, I watch him at times, you know, running amongst the forwards oh, and that. And, they well, still forwards for like, like you said, it, help, it helps when you're that tall and well built. So yeah, he's, a, yeah. he's a big yeah. unit. Uh, and just on that uh, comparison from yesteryear and today, the Eels number seven jersey's been tough for players to wear over the years. <laughs> and I think equally, the number six jersey's been uh, tough to wear. We've got Dylan Brown playing in it at, at the moment. How do you rate Dylan as a player? If you had asked me two years ago, I would have said I'd be letting him go. But he he has played very well lately, and I think now he's starting to look up and, and play what's in front of him. Um, I think he was... Previously, he was playing too structured, obviously doing what he was told to do, but, but now he's starting to look around and see what's in front of him, take opportunities. Um, I remember seeing him the other day, or it was a week or two ago, where he ran it, he drifted across field a little bit, and then notice there was a hole, he took took the hole and away he went and scored a try, you know, and, and I think, well, that's what you're there to do. That's what you've got to do. He wasn't doing that two years ago. Now he's starting to look up and and uh, play what's in front of him. I'd still like to see him do a few more things with Sean Lane outside of him. Um, yeah. Sean, Lane, Sean Lane is such a tall guy, you know. I, I just think he needs to use him in various ways. Instead of just having him hit it up, hit it up, hit it up, hit it up, maybe have him hit it up two or three times and then tell him to do something different. Uh, maybe just come around him, get an offload from him and just just vary things a little. And I think if he can do that, he'll become a better player. Yep. Continuing with the theme of yesterday versus today, social media is a big part of everyday life for the modern player uh, to the point that you almost can't ignore it. But looking at some of the blokes that you played with back in the 80s, is there anyone that you know that would love to have been on TikTok or Instagram and back in their day? Well, I'm not sure, but I'd, I'd probably... Only because Eric Grace knows a lot about all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And he was very good with that. He's been quick to learn it. Been, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you can teach an old yeah, dog new yeah, tricks, eh? So I guess back then he'd, he'd probably be one of the guys that would be on TikTok and... Um, Maybe Paul Taylor might have been another one. You know, Taylor would have had to get someone else to do it for him, but, <laughs> but he would have been on it. He would have done it. Uh, and, and again, just keeping on that theme, nowadays Ryan Madison loves to go shirtless, doesn't mind finding a camera when he's got the shirt off and can show the guns. Who, back in your day, would have been famous for, <laughs> if there was as much media around, finding a camera? 
Well, that's not a tough question. Easy answer. Dave Lydiard. Lids. <laughs> Dave Lydiard would be there looking in the mirror, brushing his hair before every game. <laughs> and, yeah, he, he would be, certainly be the one that would be there with the shirt off, having the cameras on in front of him. I'm told he doesn't mind it now either. <laughs> I'm told he doesn't mind doing that now either. Oh, shit, no. no. doing that now. If he was here tonight, he'd be taking it off, have a T-shirt on, do a bit of flexing. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, recently I caught up with Guru yep. at uh, one of his gigs, and uh, he was he was slaying it on guitar, obviously. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had Neville Glover here. He was encouraged to get up and show his dance moves, and he didn't hesitate. Uh, Zip and uh, Wally, they said they've got nothing. What about you? You got any special talents? Not dance-wise, no. <laughs> now... You were in a film, you, you know, you have, you know, demonstrated your acting chops with uh, League Legends with uh, Ando. Is, um, the acting bug didn't hit at all? Well, unfortunately, we, I was actually coaching at the time. I got asked to come over to be in a movie with Jennifer Lopez. Oh. And, um, <laughs> you got to get your priorities, I suppose. Unfortunately, we were, we were in the semi-finals at the time and... So I didn't get the opportunity to have the time off. But yeah, Footy, Footy comes first, mate. Yeah, yeah she, oh, she would have been devastated. Bitterly disappointed. <laughs> I was actually nominated for an Academy <laughs> after that performance on, on um, Footy Legends. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about the head-to-head the -head between the Eels and South Sydney over history because Parramatta in their current iteration are one from the last nine. But it's a bit of a cycle here because... If we look back at the stats, I think going back to your time, Parramatta were just six from 17 in, in that head-to-head matchup against South Sydney, which includes uh, both games in 82 and one of the games in 83. And it's a different game. Obviously, you've already mentioned that the rules have changed, making it a much different product. But uh, in your experience, what has made South so difficult for Parramatta to beat across the years? Well, look, I, I don't know. It, it, it's a tough one because even like Western Suburbs, I mean, when I started here in 1980... Um, it, it took us probably two or three years before we actually beat Western Suburbs at Lidcombe Oval. I can't even remember going to a game at Lidcombe and seeing Parramatta beat yeah, West we, at Lidcombe. We had a 13-year 13, 13 loss run. We, we, it took us 13 years to beat them at Lidcombe Oval. Playing at Cumberland Oval, we beat them by 40. Yeah. We couldn't beat them. And I, I really, I don't know. There, there are just teams that you, you seem to play against that you find it very difficult to beat. And I know we played South at, at um, Parramatta Stadium and I think it was a draw in the end because I, I remember Mario Fanny coming off the field bagging us saying that, yeah, they, yeah. you know, we were lucky to win. And we go, well, mate, it's a draw. You both were lucky to win too, you know. Oh, Mario. But, um, yeah, I, I really, it's, it's hard to answer because, as I said, you have, everyone seems to have a bogey team and... and um, well, we didn't lose a lot of times to South, but we, our record wasn't great. Mm. And, and we just couldn't tend to work out why we couldn't beat them. I think maybe their dressing rooms might have had something to do. Cause yeah, that was <laughs> well, I've been referring to South as being kryptonite to the Eels. And from the opening whistle tonight, it was like there was no strength in the Eels' performance. We were passive... Even in that opening set, they ran something like 60 metres in that, in that opening set of tackles. The, 
a set where you'd normally expect them to rip in. Did it surprise you that we just didn't rip in, even in that opening set? Well, it was, yeah, you know, and, and I think that sort of set the format of the game. When you saw that happen, you sort of, well, I looked at it and thought to myself, you know, there's no way in the world we can win this. Because obviously their mindset wasn't right. Yep. Um, to allow a team in the first set of six to go 60 metres, as you said, you don't see that. Normally, you know, you, you muscle up and, and you try and get on top early and, and set a standard in your defence. Um, Parramatta set a standard, but it wasn't good. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, and it was like that all night. And that was, that was the problem. The, the, defensively, we were very poor. And as we said earlier, the forwards got out-muscled. And yep. I believe it doesn't matter what era you're playing in, if your forwards get out-muscled, you can't win a game. And that sort and of that answers sort of answers what I was going to ask you because while the damage was done on the scoreboard out wide, a lot of the work to set it up was done through the middle, including like we we're talking about before, just before we started the show, Latrell Mitchell almost telegraphing those inside-outside balls around the ruck. What what went wrong there for Parramatta? Was it just a case of not wanting the collision? Well, I just think the guys were a bit slow getting back. Other guys didn't talk. You know, the, the Latrell Mitchell, as you mentioned, on two occasions was standing near the ruck and you could see something must have been going to happen they obviously didn't read it and he, he made a break up the middle on two occasions and both occasions to me he didn't seem to be running that quickly he just he just like he didn't really want to want to run that far he was more concerned about offloading the pass and that bothered me because I thought well in the second half if they're struggling a bit he might start actually doing something but yeah that was a problem early on you know we we just didn't read the play. We had blokes that were getting back. They were tired. They weren't putting themselves in the position. They were standing around. Um, you know, and, and that's what that's what happened. And, and that's as I said, we got out muscled in the forwards. Once you're out muscled in the forwards, you can't score tries. Yeah. Look, look, look at, at the field position that Parramatta well, had yeah, to fight. Yeah, you for. look at South. They out muscled us. They got they were going forward, and all their tries were scored out wide because the backs have room to move and do things. Our backs didn't have room to move and do things because we were always on the back foot even when we had the ball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we certainly didn't have any quality territory in that first half whatsoever. Um, we spoke about Latrell Mitchell. Um, Cody Walker and Damian Cook seemed to have a, a real night out tonight. Um, they had a rookie half in there, but how do you rate the South spine? Is it the sort of spine that can take them to a premiership? Well, I think it might go close. I mean, thanks for I will. Um, look, I, I don't, I'm not saying they can win the premiership, but I'm, they, they may very well get to the grand final. And once you're in a grand final, well, anything could happen, you know. But, um, yeah, they, they, their spine's very good once they get their halfback back. And, um, and that would, that's one of the things where I think Parramatta fell down with... with Cody Walker. Cody Walker is the type of player, if you get on top of him early and make things difficult for him, he starts walking around, he doesn't want to have anything to do with the game. Yeah, and he gets frustrated. He's he frustrated. Gets, yeah, yeah, loses composure. They let him composure. do what he wanted tonight and he scored yeah. a try or actually had one disallowed and, yeah. and thinking this player, he's just, he's just loving what he was doing. Yeah. And yeah. We, we didn't seem to want to put any pressure on him. But yeah, their spine's going very well. You know, now Latrell's back. Um, they all seem to be able to respond when he's around. It's funny when you watch him because I saw a couple of times Parramatta had the ball and he was on the right-hand side. And I thought if Parramatta threw the ball to the 
to our right side. There's no way in the world Detroit was going to get across the other side of the field. He had no intentions of running. Yeah. You know, but that's the type of player he is. You know, once he gets the ball, you've got to be aware of what he's going to do. And and um, he didn't do a great deal tonight, but what he did was enough. It was slim pickings for Parramatta Reels that held their heads high in this game, but I was looking at the players on the field. I thought Quentin Gufferson and Sean Lane were pretty handy in a beaten team, but after that it gets a bit thin, doesn't it? Yeah, look, and, it, and, and it, again, as I said, it makes it difficult for a lot of players when the forwards have been, have been dominated, but there are some guys, I guess, like Clint Gutherson, he's in a position where, you know, he's a captain of the side, he's got to start doing a little bit more, taking a bit more control over things, making a few more decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier about the kicks near the try line, you know, all we did was put them up in the air. Well, if there's nothing coming, if there's no calls coming out from the coach to change it, maybe the captain should be saying, mate, next time, put it on the ground. And I don't know whether that's happening. And, and the other thing is you just got to wonder whether or not the pressure of the game affects, affects their de- decision-making. You know, that's, that's the thing. Uh, you know, as you say, he, he went pretty well in the beaten side, but when you're captain, you've got to be able to do things. You've got to be able to make those decisions. And um, I, I was very lucky to play under Steve Edge, and he was a great captain. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a guy who never got flustered or anything. And, and I think that's where Clint Guthers has got to step up a bit more now and he's got to start to make decisions. I don't know whether it's coming, whether there's anything coming from the coach's box, I don't know. But if there isn't, well, the captain's got to start doing something because what they're doing at the moment is crap and they're just not changing anything. So if it doesn't come, if it doesn't come from the coach, it's got to start coming from the captain. They've got to start doing, looking at the way they're going and changing a few things, trying to make things work. Now, the Eels haven't lost two in a row this season, um, so that's, <clears throat> that's been a positive out of the year. Can they bounce back next week against the Bulldogs? Look, I, I think they will because they're playing at home. And it's old boys' day too. You've got the big player reunion here. The, oh, right. You'll yes. be doing the walk of honour around the ground. Neville will love that. Neville Glover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He'll give her a bit of a wave. I'd, I'd like to take a bet that Neville Glover will be the last one off the field. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll put a little note But look, I, I just think I, I, you, you would like to think that they would improve in their performance. There would be a better performance next week. They have to do. They have to have a better performance next week. It's, it's, it's not a case of whether we Will or not, it's, they do have to do it. Um, if they if they're serious about being a premiership contender, well, they should beat the Bulldogs next week at home, and they should be looking to put as many points on the board as possible. Yeah, there should be none of this, like against Penrith, where they scored thirty in the first half and we scored bugger all in the second. You've got to say, well, you know, if we put thirty on the Bulldogs in the first half. We're going to put thirty or more in the second. To shape people that, yeah, we're fair dink about winning the premiership. And before we let you go, mate, we just had a request for a Jack Gibson story. Is there anything you can share from the archives that uh, might get the tongues wagging? Oh, well, Jack... Well, I've always said Jack was always the best coach that I've ever played under. Um, and Jack kept everything very simple. There was never anything too, too complicated. He would often come to training with 
uh, a new tap play. He would ask us to go through the tap play. We would go through it, and he would never. It was never a case to say, "Well, this is what I've come up with. This is what we're going to do." He would say, "This is what I've come up with. We'll go through it. Tell me what you think." And then it was the player's decision in the end as to whether we would do that tap play the way he wanted it, or whether we'd make some changes. But Jack always used to say to us, "Always take 40 cents with you." And all the young ones here, 40 cents was the cost of a phone call. We didn't have mobile phones then. Yep. And the reason was that if you were going to be late for training or something, you mightn't be able to get the train. At least you can ring someone and let them know and the message will get passed through to Jack that you're not going to be at training or you're going to be late. And he said, if you are late, you've got to give me a good excuse. And he said, it's got to be one that I've never heard, but I've heard all of them. Did you end up hearing any good excuses? In that, I never in that had time? to. I was always there on time. But David Lydiard got to training late once and we were out on the field, warm, we were already warmed up, ready to do a ball session. Dave comes running down, it was at Granville Park, and we were trained on the main oval. And up on a higher level, there was two other fields where the reserve grade and the under-20s trained. And so Dave's run down and he said to Jack, you know, I'll, you know I'm late. And obviously the excuse he gave was one that Jack had already heard. So Jack said to him, mate, do me a favour. Can you go up top field up there and get me the boy Atkins, who was Graham Atkins, who played on the wing as well. But Dave was a winger and said, get me the boy Atkins. So Dave said, yeah, Jack, not a problem, I'll go. As he started running off, he said, oh, by the way, while you're up there, Introduce yourself to Coach Money, who was a reserve grade coach. So, in other words, you've just been dropped. You're playing reserve grade. Go grab your replacement. And Graham Atkins is playing first grade. And, and that's actually the first time he'd ever done that. Um, he was. There's a lot of coaches even today, and I've worked with a couple of coaches that do, don't tell the first grade players why they've been dropped. Yeah. And the first grade player will find out when they announce the team. He finds out that he's not in the side, says, oh, I'm obviously in reserve. But Jack would never do that. That was the only time Jack's ever done anything like that. Any other time, you would be called into his office and he would sit you down and he would tell you that you're not playing first grade and he would tell you why. And you knew that by the time they come to announce the teams, you weren't going to be in first grade. And I can say that that never happened to me, thankfully, because he never told me that I was dropped. He said, I'm not going to play you. Yeah, yeah. And I said, Jack, I'd like to play. I haven't missed a game for two seasons. He said, well, if you want to play, you can play reserve grade. I said, OK, I'll have a week off. <laughs> and I took the week off. Uh, well, it, it hasn't been the greatest result as far as Parramatta supporters are concerned today. But I think we've managed to finish on a high here with having Brett Kenny as our guest. Ladies and gentlemen, Brett Kenny. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. I, I've got to ask you too. Uh, 